Hey everybody, it's Matt Chu from Upright Health. I am joined today by Peter. Uh, he is a guy I've known for several years now and he sent me an email um, a few weeks ago that literally gave me goosebumps. You know, he's been on this journey of getting out of hip pain, avoiding surgery, and doing all of that in the context of a really sedentary life and sedentary career. Uh, he's been told surgery was the only option for him many times, and he never took that option. And he has really transformed his life in dramatic ways and transformed his body and mind in dramatic ways. And he has been gracious enough to sit down with us today and talk with us about his journey and the things he's learned. So Peter, welcome, and thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, let's jump right into it. I'm so excited to, to get through all of this. So can you tell us about uh, how your hip pain journey all started, the history, the diagnoses, the treatments that you were offered? Sure. Sure. So Matt, I'm in my 50s now, as you know. Um, I started to have hip pain that was noticeable probably in my early 30s. Um, I was very active during my free time, which I didn't have much of, but I was active in a variety of uh, sports, uh, running, tennis, um, and doing them uh, at a pretty high level, um, but not really doing much else. So I started to have what I thought was just sort of, you know, ordinary muscle pain from, you know, being mostly sedentary uh, with an you know, office job or desk job, and then going out and you know, playing a two-hour tennis match or going for a three-mile or five-mile run with hills. Um, so I just sort of, you know, I just sort of wrote it off. And I didn't do anything else in my body other than, you know, the actual exercise, running, tennis, or, you know, uh, something, uh, you know, sort of cardio-type uh, exercise. Mm -hmm. And I always consider myself to be pretty fit, and I probably was in a cardiovascular way. But the, hip, the pain started to um, worsen as I got into my um, early 40s. Um, but it was actually my back that sort of threw me for a loop first because I'd always had, you know, um, uh, back issues. And now looking back on it, I see the two were probably related uh, because the body, as I've learned from you, works, you know, sort of the whole system. It's hard to look at things in isolation. Um, but it was my back that sort of laid me up um, with some herniations. And I sort of shut things down. And as I shut things down, you know, I became even weaker and less mobile. Uh, as I was dealing with the back issues. Um, so, you know, I had the pain to answer your question. I had the pain probably, you know, for almost five to seven years, 10 years, and then it got progressively worse. You had the back pain and you had those back pain diagnoses. And then you're saying then the hip pain started up as well. And then, and then, so can you talk about the hip pain and the back pain? When were you noticing it? Was it just sitting at your desk? Or was it hiking or when did you really yeah, feel it? it was almost it didn't take much for me to be uncomfortable in my back could have been sitting standing for extended periods of time um i really wasn't doing much in the way of activity other than sort of just daily things you know showering dressing you know cooking things like that and the hip pain was more um prevalent sitting um so sitting was uncomfortable like going to a restaurant and sitting was uncomfortable um sitting in a car was uncomfortable so it was unfortunately you know it was persistent that wasn't sort of so intense that i you know couldn't tolerate it but it was you know it was bothersome so then you had both these things going on for several years and then you you said mid 40s is that when you went to the doctor to 
try yeah. to get some answers. Yeah. Yeah. I started to see um, orthopedists, back specialists in my back, you know, I had imaging, um, you know, perniated disc diagnoses, back degenerative changes in my back, you know, just a litany of things, you know, sort of called pathology uh, for my back, lower back. Um, and, you know, then I saw um, my family doctor about my hips and then I went to see a specialist about my hips and I had more imaging for my hips and uh, various diagnoses, including FAI, cam impingement, labral tears, arthritis, degenerative changes. I mean, just sort of a, a laundry list yeah. uh, of, uh, of things. Well, I could sort of well, putting, put them all into sort of the bucket of, well, degenerative changes. And that's where, you know, and then, uh, you know, of course, there was a discussion with the various doctors about options, you know, injections, you know, do steroid injections, which I did do for my hip twice and both hips didn't know. I, 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 I saw no noticeable change from doing that. And it was, I knew it was sort of a Band-Aid option, but I didn't really know what else there was for me. I tried PT at the same time. Um, I found some of it to be helpful, but it wasn't something that I really could um, uh, engage in with any continuity. I just didn't feel like there was a sort of a long-term strategy or plan Mm. And that I was, you know, been giving exercises that would, it would have been given to anyone else who has sort of these same labels, but I'm not anyone else. I mean, I think everybody's one thing I've learned with this journey is that everybody's body is different. And, you know, what mine needed, I don't think that PT was, was giving me. Um, so, you know, I was frustrated and uh, not sure what to do uh, at that time uh, before I found you actually. You, you had this very long list of basically every possible orthopedic diagnosis um, for your hip pain. And so they presented injections. Did they present surgery as an option to you? I, I was told that I was too old for any type of arthroscopic procedure and that my degenerative changes were too far along that it, it you know, that it wouldn't help me to have any type of, you know, uh, FAI or label type of uh, repair procedure that, um, and I felt like that was, you know, the, I, I'm glad that the, the, the provider I was seeing was honest with me in that respect, not, you know, sort of pushing me in that direction, but I was told that I was a candidate for uh, replacement surgery or resurfacing surgery, but you maybe young and that it might be better to just wait some period of time until the pain gets too, too bad. That sort of, you know, I was sort of given the impression that it's only going to get worse and then eventually I'll need, you know, intervention. Um, and then between now and then I could, you know, uh, steroid injections, for example, uh, would be a solution, um, or to take it easy or, you know, wear soft shoes, you know, just do things to sort of, uh, baby my, my hips and my body. So, so to make sure it's super clear, it's your hips are really bad right now. They're so bad that we don't want to do arthroscopy because it's, that's not invasive enough to help. In order to help you, you can just wait till things get so bad and then we can either replace the entire hip joint or you replace the top of the femur or get in there and start shaving bits to, to smooth it out. Yeah, That's, yeah. Okay. yeah cap, cap the bone and sort of, you know, partial type of replacement, which hip resurfacing is. Um, okay. So new of those options, I've done by diligence, I'm a pretty thorough person, uh, by training, by personality. And I felt like I had was well armed with a lot of facts and information, 
but I felt, um, you know, I felt sort of dejected really because um, not only was I not doing things that I love to do and that are part of my, just who I am and I wanted to do with myself, family, with friends, but I was given sort of a prognosis of it's only going to get worse until you do this. You know, have what have many other options. You have to try PT, but you know, the, no one really thought, no one really gave me any sort of reason to be optimistic that PT was going to, you know, give me significant improvement. Right. And, and your own experience with conventional PT just wasn't that inspiring. It wasn't giving you that much relief. Or yeah, and I don't want to sort of attribute that solely to the professionals I was working with, but also to sort of I think the model for my lifestyle at the time, didn't really allow me to embrace PT in a way that it became an integral part of my life. It was really seen, in, and I think it meant for many people as I have family members and others do PT, it was more sort of like an, an add-on or adjunct to something that you do, you know, like going to, you know, a yoga class for a half hour, an hour a day, and then that's, you know, going to be all that you need and you'll get better. Mm -hmm. um, my reality has been that you know, it's been more than an hour that I needed every day. Um, I just felt like it, it wasn't enough. And it might be enough for some people, depending on what their condition is. But for me, uh, it just wasn't. Because I was, I had shut things down for such a long, for, you know, for a year or two after the injuries and problems. And I was sitting a lot of my day. My body was getting weaker and less mobile. It wasn't getting stronger and more mobile. And I just didn't know what I didn't know. To try to address yeah, that, that, that was such a huge discussion uh, that you and I would have all the time, right? <laughs> and, and we'll definitely come to that. And but you know, just foreshadowing, we're you know what Peter is touching on is you know really looking at how your entire life works and what the human body needs to feel good. Uh, before we get to that, um, you you mentioned you know you're at this low point, you're feeling dejected, you don't really have hope. Um, how did you end up stumbling on my videos and, and, and just finding me? What was that? Well, the way that most people find information these days, I uh, went onto the internet <laughs> and I started looking for, you know, uh, hip FAI, uh, hip improvement, hip training. I mean, I just typed in a few keywords that related to what I was dealing with. And I um, almost immediately found uh, some of your content, some of your videos educational content and also your FAI fix program. Um, and I watched your videos. I listened to them carefully. I read your materials. Um, I looked at the, uh, you know, the, the various medical journal articles that you um, provide through your, your site. And I just, you know, I wanted to, I sensed that I was missing information. I didn't have information that could be helpful to me and that mm -hmm. there might be another, another way to improve my, circumstances, um, improve my condition without, you know, going down the path of surgery, um, or more shots or painkillers, things like that. So that's how I, that's how I found you, um, and became more informed, I think. So, uh, what, what about what you read or encountered there resonated with you? And, and, you know, why did you even have this belief that there was some other option? What resonated with me was that I, it, I realized how little I knew about my hips and hip function and what my hips are capable of doing sort of in a, you know, sort of a natural form, sort of, I'll call it out of the box, you know, like from when we're born to, you know, to where we are in our lives now. I just, 
have forgotten or never really appreciated because it just sort of happened for me when I was younger. Like I didn't think about it. Right. You know, I could do a sport, I could run, I could wrestle, I do whatever. And my, it was sort of on demand and it was there. I didn't have any problems, but I lost that somehow. Never really knew what it was because it just happened for me. So I lost it and I needed to learn about what it was that I lost. So mm -hmm. that like to do a deep squat in good form, you know, to internally and externally rotate my hips, you know, to do a frog stretch, to do, you know, flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, to be able to move it in all these different ranges of motion. Because for so long, my range of motion had been, you know, sitting in a modern chair uh, and walking. And I mean, I was just sort of limited in my ranges. So what resonated with me was that, um, you know, that I learned, I, I just sort of opened my, opened my eyes to hip function and also that people with, you know, these different types of diagnoses that I was given, that you demonstrated there are people who have those diagnoses yet they still have excellent hip function and maybe little to, or no pain. Um, so there wasn't sort of this, you push back against sort of conventional thinking or wisdom that if you have these diagnoses that you automatically, you know, have pain, have dysfunction, and that's as a result of those things. So it, it, it convinced me that there was a way to deal with the, the dysfunction I was having and the pain that I was having through, you know, um, non-invasive, a non-invasive approach. I want to touch on sort of that process of having lost all that function in your life. Um, before we started the call, you had mentioned, you know, academic, academic career, and now your professional career really limited the number of movement options in your life. Um, can you speak a little just briefly about, you know, your professional training, your professional life and what that looks like now? So, you know, like most people, I sat in school when I was in grade school and high school, I went to college. I sat in college a lot. I was still active in my college years, but less active because I'm sitting a lot. Um, I entered the professional world, working world uh, while I was in college, uh, in my really in my late teens, in my early 20s, I already had um, a full-time office job. Uh, I was in front of computers on a regular basis. So I was just sitting a lot. I was sitting in the car. I was sitting in commutes. I was sitting in meetings. I was sitting at my office desk. I was sitting at lunches. I was sitting at dinners, sitting, 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 sitting. And then I was still do some, I was still active, but it was only in these sort of these intense short windows of activity, like a run or a tennis match or something else. And I wasn't doing any mobility training or weight training or anything else for my body. So I just had two sort of very, you know, just sort of the vast majority. And then of course I was sleeping. So <laughs> such, a, such a limited period of time was being given to healthy um, whole body, you know, functional movement. Um, and I was, you know, as I was aging, I was becoming weaker too, I think, because the muscles, the muscles weren't being used in a way that they were being challenged. Um, and then I, of course, I, as you know, I have a family. So more time was being spent with a young family and children. Right. Uh, you have your own uh, young child. It just, so I had less and less time um, to spend on my own, you know, body needs and maintenance. Yeah. Um, so for anybody watching, Peter is an attorney and I, I just want to touch on one thing I've noticed with people I've worked with is um, people who go to law school, that period of law school, uh, they get wrecked, physically wrecked because they're, they're sitting 
for like 18 or 20 hours in front of a, I don't know if it's a book anymore. It's probably in front of a screen now, but in the, in the past, you know, you're studying and studying and studying and writing down case law, whatever you're doing and your body just falls apart in your you know, early or mid twenties when you're doing that. And then you get into your career, which is more of that, it seems like, right? I think it's a gradual sort of decline, but for me, it, I didn't realize that until it's sort of like, the, the stick snapped. The, the stick snapped almost sort of like literally with my back. So, um, <clears throat> for others, maybe it's more noticeable sort of gradually. But in my case, it was sort of, I you know, I saw this. Looking back on it, I could see the signs, but I didn't yeah. see the signs when it was occurring. And maybe I didn't want to see the signs, you know, because I was busy. It was you know just, you know, you you make into maybe human nature to sort of turn a little bit of a blind eye to some of those things. Or if you've never sensed them before, we don't know what to sort of how to read those signals, so we just sort of ignore them. Exactly. Thank you for touching on that because that's a that's such a common thread. I know for me, uh, and and for plenty of people I've worked with, that's the same story. Is like now that I'm getting these things back, when I look back, I realized when I was losing them and what I was doing to lose them, but at the time, it just I ignored it, didn't have an explanation, or the only explanation available was well, you're getting older, so that kind of just happens, right? Like that discomfort, it's just a natural part of aging and you don't think about you know, your, own, your own agency in that process, your own choices that are affecting that process. But um, you know, like as, as you have discovered, as you kind of pull the, pull the veil up, you start to see, wow, there are a lot of things that I, I need to be doing, <laughs> right? So let's talk about, um, some of that. So uh, to be clear, your process of um, getting to where you are today hasn't been linear, right? Like the discussions you and I had, you know, we had a lot of discussions about your own fears, doubts about what your body could do, doubts about, you know, your future with your body. Can you speak about that process and where you struggled, the, the roadblocks you ran into and how you kind of really just had it all click for yourself? I mean, I'll start with the topic of pain. I mean, pain is a motivator and it can also be a, um, uh, something that sort of makes people question what they're doing um, or not doing. So that was always a consideration. You know, we sort of gauge progress, maybe it's human nature based on sort of pain levels and looking back on it, you know, maybe that wasn't the right way to think about it because even though I was still having pain, I think I was making progress uh, with becoming stronger and more mobile um, and regaining some of the sort of lost function that I had and even becoming more active. Um, so that's one thing I, you know, I, I think about, and even to this, to this day, because I'm not, you know, my experience isn't pain-free every day. I mean, I'm, I'm considerably more comfortable and significantly more active, but I don't sort of have, I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect, perfect hip or perfect hips. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm sort of realistic about that and, and sort of thinking that I'm going to be, you know, 100% pain-free forever. I don't not, I don't think that's realistic for me, given my journey. Um, but we can come back to that, talk about that a little yeah. bit. I think the yeah. other hurdle was um, uh, time, you know, sort of figuring out how to integrate this into my life in a way that it would, I would give myself the best chance because I had limited, limited amount of time. So I had to be, I think, um, innovative and in how I would approach it. Um, can I, could I, you know, integrate it into my life in a way that I just wasn't doing in a half hour in the morning and a half hour at night, 
right? Mm-hmm. Could I do it while I was sitting on a train? Could I do it while I was sitting in a car? Could I do it while I was walking to a meeting? Could I take a five minute break and, you know, uh, and read a document and do an exercise at the same time? So I had to get the most out of my time to optimize this. Not only the most out of my time, but I, looking back on it, and to this day, the more I integrated it into my daily experience, I think the more beneficial it became. That I couldn't right. just do it as sort of like something I do in isolation, like, um, you know, like cutting the grass, you know, and then it's done. It's sort of, it, I needed to change my paradigm on this and make it more part of who I am and what I, what I expect out of any given day. So once I was able to make that shift, I think I started to see more progress. And that may not work for everyone because um, some people may not be willing to sort of make that shift and change their paradigm. Um, and I still struggle with that a little bit, but I think I've, I've changed my lifestyle in a way to, to be able to, to, and for the better. Everybody wants quick results, right? Sort of like you want to yeah. get, eliminate the pain and go back to doing whatever activity right away. And that didn't happen for me. And that was hard. Um, it's taken years. And I'm still seeing improvement. I was able to do things just this past, you know, past three, six months that I couldn't do one year, two years, three, four, five years ago. And in fact, some stuff that I couldn't do since I was um, in my high school. That unexpected becomes sort of a high school version of myself again, but it's just said to me that it takes time. It, it's not linear, it takes time. Um, and that it's, but the upside I think is potentially unlimited. I mean, right. you know, right. depending on how smart you are, how you approach it, what you want to do, hopefully stay injury free, you know, and really sort of matching that with your goals. So, so you've touched on some uh, massive uh, paradigm shifts for yourself. So um, one of the big ones that you've mentioned now is sort of like how you relate to pain or what your expectations are around pain. So um, you, you've said uh, when you first started, your whole mindset was around like, well, can I get to a point where I just don't experience pain at all? Which I, I think a lot of people with pain, that's, that's, that's the first motivator. Like, I just, no more pain, please, right? Um, but then you mentioned like, well, that, that kind of got you a little, didn't get you feeling right physically or mentally. And then you shifted into this uh, functional focus which you you've now also mentioned is like wow like look at look at my function changing over this last five years and i'm more comfortable so can you speak a little bit about how your focus has changed and and how that relates to the reduction in pain over time so being active was really important to me as you know i lost those activities when i was in pain and hurt and felt like i couldn't do these things so that is in some ways almost more of a priority for me than being sort of, you know, pain-free. So as I trained myself to become more functional, there was also a, a correlating reduction in pain as I was doing those activities. For example, in 2017, I hadn't skied since like 2012, 2013. I went out one day, my daughter was in college. I went skiing, downhill skiing. And I was so, my hips were so uncomfortable. I did, I don't know, six or seven runs, pretty easy downhill skiing. And I was just sort of, um, I was dejected after doing that because I just, it, it, it took the, some of the, it was less enjoyable because of the discomfort I was having. I was able right. to do it, but it was discomfort. I was in discomfort. This year, fast forward, I skied more than I have 
you know, probably than I can remember actually. Um, and I still had some discomfort as I did it each time, but it was much less than the discomfort I had a few years ago. And I was skiing at a much higher level nice. uh, for longer periods of time. And I didn't have sort of, um, the pain didn't get increasingly worse the more I did it or the longer I did it. It was, you know, it was just sort of this, it was low level and it was the, 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 enjoy, the joy and benefits I got out of the skiing far outweighed whatever, you know, minor discomfort or symptoms I had um, at that and time. I, I really sort of, I had this, my function went up here and my pain went down to here. Pain's not completely gone, but the function has improved dramatically. So I, I want to highlight something here too, because there's often this, uh, there can be this misconception that when we talk about things like this, focusing on the function, that we're also saying you should just ignore the pain and just sort of like play through the pain, right? Which is not at all, not at all what we're talking about, right? Like if that, if your function is going up and your pain is going up, that's not really a great situation. And I, I mean, I actually don't even see that very often, right? But like that, that's kind of an outlier situation, but uh, a lot of people get in this mindset of like, well, if I play tennis and it hurts, maybe I just need to play more tennis. And maybe if I just keep forcing it, it'll feel better. When the reality is, you know, for your skiing, as an example, you had to do things that would improve overall function and prepare your body better for skiing. So then your function for skiing has gone up and the discomfort went down. You did the homework, you did the fundamental work you had to do in order to actually enjoy your sport, right? You're not just gritting through pain, right? <laughs> Specific example, I'm, when I skied years ago, it just hurt to sort of carry the weight, the boot, and the ski on my leg. Uh, sitting yeah. in the chair lift, it just hurt. This year, because I've been doing exercises with ankle weights, mm -hmm. just like yeah. I, I didn't even notice it. And I wasn't uncomfortable from that because my hips were much stronger, my legs were much stronger, my ankles are much stronger, and I felt like I could just manage that way uh, more efficiently and safely and more comfortably um, right. in different ranges of motion because now I understand and appreciate you know, internal rotation and external rotation while I'm wearing a ski boot or flexion and extension. I mean, I, I just trained all those muscles to be able to handle that load in a way that I hadn't before. That's, oh man, I just love hearing your story of progress over the years. So I guess one thing I wanna to touch on here is you, uh, earlier, you had mentioned the, the numerous studies out there that show no correlation between medical imaging with your hips, your knees, your spine, and actual symptoms and pain, right? But the conventional medical model is all about you have this damage that we can see, that's what's causing your problems. Um, in your specific case, you know, they were, you were told like, wow, it's so bad we can't like we, we can't do arthroscopy on you. It's terrible. We need to resurface or replace. Uh, how do you now view the health of your hips and what does resurfacing and replacement look like to you now that you're seeing your function improve so much? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, 
if, if I measure health based on function and pain levels, I would say the health is much improved, not perfect, but mm-hmm. that I feel good about it because I can do the things that I want to do in my life. And I'm much, much more comfortable. So from that standpoint, I would say markedly, dramatically better. I think with regard to imaging, it's a data point. It gives each of us some data. Then it's a question of what do we, what inferences do we draw from that data? Mm-hmm. Specialists draw certain inferences, non-specialists draw certain inferences. If I focus solely on what, it, what the picture looks like, um, I would be missing, I think, what is a big piece that I've, you know, that I've become attuned to from working with you and working with others who recommended that I maybe look to in terms of content and material. But it, 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 the muscles and the tendons and ligaments are critical to the functioning of a joint. That's within my control. The fact that I might have a, you know, a torn labrum or a herniated bulging disc or degenerative changes in my lower back. I mean, take my back, for example. I mean, I, I can lift and move things today that, and in a safe, functional way that I couldn't do um, before, even before, before I, when I didn't have back pain. And I don't, I'm not concerned about hurting my back. It gets a little stiff once in a while, like any middle-aged man's back might, but I can pick up, you know, a 30, 40, 50 pound bag of dog food. I can throw a 40 pound bag of mulch over my head. I mean, I can move stuff and not be fearful. And I'm getting it stronger. I, my view is it's only going to, I'm only going to get it stronger and more mobile. So not that I'm going to try to throw weights around that I shouldn't because there's a fine line. I don't want to get hurt, but Right, I right. can do things that I couldn't do before. And if you took an image of my back today, you'd probably still see a lot of what was there, you know, a few years ago when I had it imaged. I mean, yeah. I probably have degenerative changes there because I've sat a lot. I've been very active. You know, I've fallen out of trees when I was a kid. I've done all the things that, you know, people do that, you know, I've been unfortunately in car accidents, things like that. You know, you sort of like accumulative stuff that your body encounters, but I feel like I've been able to offset that and negate it by focusing on the things that I can control. Yeah, I think to summarize it in another way is like you, sure, the images say these are damaged, et cetera, et cetera, but you're still able to, you're still clearly able to improve your function regardless of what those images say. So while it's a data point, it's clearly, definitely in your case, it's clearly not the not providing you any clear idea of your maximum potentials or the direction you should take. Agreed. And if you image any other part of my body, any other joint, you'd probably find other degenerative changes just because yeah. of, of what I've done in my life. It could be my wrist, my thumb, you know, you knew my left shoulder bothered me for a while because I had been doing some rock, do rock climbing and I probably hurt it in some way, but I have great shoulder function now with no discomfort, but I train my shoulders. Um, regularly i do dead hangs i do presses i do rows i mean i do all the things that many you know that i've learned through you know your, your content uh, oh man it's it's so it's so uh every time you tell me what you're doing now it's it's it literally gives me goosebumps because I'm, I'm just so happy you have made this journey um and i wanted to touch on this because it's fun for me too uh you told me you recently started surfing or surfing last year yeah. What has that been like as a man in his 50s deciding I'm going to go play in the ocean? Well, it was about six years ago that I actually had the first opportunity um, where a good friend of mine, he, he's the person who actually taught me how to, to surf. Um, he asked me to come out and you know, if I was interested in getting on a surfboard. And 
at the time I was, this is shortly after my back, I'd hurt my back, my hips were bothering me. I remember going out into the water and sitting on the board and I couldn't, couldn't even straddle the board comfortably. My hips were trying to straddle. It's like, I was just, this is not, I can't do this. Not enjoyable. I didn't feel like I had the strength to, to get out through the surf. I really didn't do any surfing that day. And I didn't touch a surfboard from that day until um, last year. I started to do stand-up paddle boarding about two years ago, which um, has been extremely beneficial for me, strength-wise, mobility, balance. I mean, just being out in nature, all those things. But yeah. regular um, you know, surfing uh, on ocean waves wasn't something I had considered until last year. But my same friend, he said, you know, uh, you want to give it a, a try again? I said, yeah, I think I'm ready to give it a try again. And um, I felt I was comfortable straddling the board. I could climb up and get up on the board easily without really any problem. Could, you know, I could paddle out through the waves. I, my shoulders were feeling strong and good. And I've been doing a lot of swimming. So that had actually trained me to be able to paddle out into the ocean. And getting up on the board, at least to my knees first and then popping up, my hips could handle it because I've been doing the squats, been doing the squats in different lateral, I've been doing lateral squats, you know, forward and back. I mean, my, I just felt strong enough to be able to do all of it and to do it for pretty much as long as I wanted to until I, you know, I got tired eventually after an hour or so of like getting hit by waves and things like that. Right. And I also felt like I wasn't gonna get hurt if I got pummeled by a wave. Um, because I just felt like I had, you know, I could sort of do a controlled fall. Um, so I've had, you know, some surfing is like skiing. You can get hurt. I've had, you know, nicks and cuts and bruises, things like that. Um, right. so, but I'm okay with that. That's sort of the price of admission for, you know, for doing that, that activity. And, and I mean, your body is able to bounce back from it, right? Like yeah. if you had been doing that, ten, you know, six years ago, 10 years ago, if it's hard to straddle the board, getting pummeled is going to be much worse. <laughs> so, um, and you said you're surfing now pretty long sessions, right? You're doing like a couple hours. I yeah, I can you're... do uh, for an hour and a half at a time, an hour, hour and a half at a time, and then take a break and then do another hour session. Um, nice. Sometimes there are more waves, less waves, right. so sort of less, the, the, the amount of energy expended varies based, as you know, based on sort of what the conditions are. Yeah. But I can go back to back days. Um, I really don't go a day without doing some type of um, strength training, mobility training, and some other type of activity to, to go with it. It might be a swim, it might be a hike, um, stand up paddleboard or surfing. Um, so I try to combine the training with some type of activity that requires me to put all that to, you know, into, into use. Um, so how many, how much time would you say in a given day, you know, you've, you've integrated much more movement into your life where before you're just sitting, working, commuting, sitting, sleeping. Um, what does a, a typical day look like? How much time are you spending with the fun stuff? What are you in the well, movement? The, the training stuff is so integrated. I'm not sure how I could even measure it because I sort of, I can right. set aside, for example, maybe an hour to do some sort of like really focused uh, hip work. Um, like this morning, I put on ankle weights. I do eight pound uh, ankle, uh, it's actually close to 10 pounds now. I do an eight pound ankle weight and one and a half pound ankle weight on each ankle. And I go through different exercises that I actually learned with your upright health, upright health program, Upright Live, yeah, that you had a year or so ago with, uh, with Trevor doing uh, a lot of instruction. But I put together about seven different exercises and I do three sets of 10. And that takes me close to an hour, but that's my whole sort of 
internal rotation, external rotation, abduction, adduction type exercise that I try to do two, two days a week. But then I integrate a lot of other things into my day. Into my day, for example, if I'm in the kitchen doing something at dinner, making a meal, I'll take the opportunity while something's simmering in the stove or cooking to get in a few more squats, some mm -hmm. quad, some quad stretch, some quad stretches, uh, some hamstring stretches. So, so it sort of becomes so interspersed in a way, and I don't even I don't even like to think about it. It's just sort of like, oh, I have a few minutes here. I'm going to do this, or I could be waiting for my car to get fixed, or I'm in dentist office, or you know, I, I've just, I don't know, Matt, I really can't answer the question because it could be an hour. I guess if I added up all those little individual components, maybe it's collectively more, but I'm much less sedentary than I was before. Even if I'm watching something on TV at night, I'm probably down on the floor doing a 90, 90, uh, you know, and just sitting more comfortably varying my sitting conditions to give some stimulus to my hips that I can't get if I'm sitting on the couch. Um, before I go to bed, I might do some cat cow stretches from my back, maybe some sort of little bit, some basic yoga poses, uh, just to limber things up. I take, few, I take a few minutes every day to do a dead hang. One of the most beneficial things I think I've done for my back and my spine to get better alignment is to do a dead hang. I, I know you and Trevor are proponents of doing that. Trevor used that in the upright live and I do it probably two or three minutes every day, broken down into one minute segments. I have a pull-up bar. I can find just about anywhere that I've made makeshift places to sort of figure out how to do a dead hang. Uh, and my back just feels so much better. My, I just feel so, so much better when I do it. Like, you know, it's just like what my body needs and it, it helps. So it's good to have that practical perspective. My life looks very similar, right? If I'm, do, if I'm at the park with my son and he's playing on the playground, I'm probably doing squats or split squats or stretching. One of the funniest things I've noticed is, um, you know, when I, when I take my own son to the beach, uh, even when he was like a little baby and could barely walk and crawl, you know, if we're at the beach, I would kind of work on doing splits, just like set my feet really wide apart and just stand there in the sand and keep gradually spreading out. And, um, you know, I've done that since he was a baby. Now he's three and a, three and a half. And when we're just sort of like hanging out in sand at the beach or at a park, I've noticed him doing the same thing where he'll just like, just, you know, it's just a casual split and, you know, he can go farther than I can quite easily. But I just think it's so funny to see like, oh, he's doing splits now too. Great. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it becomes just part of your, you know, for me, it's just become part of my, my life experience. I mean, when, for example, the beach, when I go to the beach, and I was never really wanted to sit in a chair for hours and hours, but I did sit on the beach for a long first time. Now, when I go to the beach, I'm doing things. I'm moving around. I'm just, I'm sitting, you know, like this on the floor, like I am. I'll do a 90-90 sit. I might do some squats. Um, I might do some, uh, you know, uh, leg raises. Um, I might do some single leg, you know, uh, deadlifts with no weight. I mean, just I mix it up. I'm uh, how much you time on your pop up, you know, see some pop ups. Pop -up. <laughs> so I, I just keep myself mobile uh, instead of saying fixed in any one position for you know too long of a period of time. Right. So um, you had mentioned um, in your email to me, you'd mentioned that you still go on some websites and like kind of online, I guess, online support groups for people with hip pain. Uh, you've shared a pretty 
um, I mean, tragic story, really. But um, can you kind of talk about, you know, what you've seen and kind of your perspective on the stories you now have read about mm -hmm. hip pain and hip surgeries? Yeah, I think um, my story, my story, other people have their stories, but from, I've read stories from other people uh, considerably younger than me, some older who, you know, it sort of starts the same way. They have pain, they have hip pain, they have back pain. Uh, they go to see a specialist, usually, you know, their family doctor or orthopedic specialist. I mean, that's what most people would do because they're concerned about, you know, the pain. Is there an injury? Is there some damage or some harm? Um, and my experience was that there was never really any much attention given to my muscle function or my sort of my range of motion. I, most of the focus was given to, you know, sort of what did my bones and joint look like, right? You know, did I fit what you know, uh, diagnoses would I match up with. Um, no strength tests, nothing along those lines. And I can see that other people have took a similar path to what I was taking. Um, maybe some of them tried PT, maybe some of them didn't, but they were given similar options, you know, steroid injections um, and arthroscopic surgery. If, you know, they have a, a diagnosis that involves FAI you know, cam or pincher uh, impingement, you know, to sort of fix what some see as being bone abnormalities that, you know, that, that's identified as a source of pain. Um, I seem to come across more stories where people who have that procedure um, have continuing problems than people who have the procedure and have some sort of rebirth with their, their hips. Now, I'm sure there are stories, and I've set, read some, where people do have improvement after having um, an arthroscopic procedure, but you know, any basic procedure carries with it significant risk. So I, and I rarely see in any of those stories that anyone has considered that there may be a way to improve function or reduce pain without going straight to an invasive procedure. And I don't mean to say that there's, suggest that these procedures don't help people. They I mean, there are people who have improvement after they have these procedures, but I just think that it, for me, and I would think others would want to consider something that would push that off to the future for a long period of time and potentially forever um, if they could try something else. And for me, trying what I tried, there was, I had nothing to lose. You know, mm -hmm. there was, wasn't some huge financial commitment that I had to pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a monthly basis or an annual basis. It was just about, it was more about opening my eyes to another way of, of improving function and reducing pain. And in the process really sort of, I think, empowering myself to take more control, greater control over my own uh, well-being. Um, it was in my means to be able to do that. I wasn't so sure about it at the time, as you know, I had doubts, but the more I did it, I saw results and I realized that it was within my means, my ability to, 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 to make improvement without uh, doing something invasive. And maybe I will have to one day. It's just that right now and maybe forever, I know it makes you laugh uh, because I'm sort of, I want to be a realist. I'm in a much better place and I've made tremendous improvements and I, I, and I'll continue to do it and I'll take it as far as it allows me to, to go. 
the story that you shared via email, I think was like a young woman who was like 30 something in her 30s. Yeah, something in their 30s who had been given diagnoses similar to what I had been given, hip pain, different, you know, joint issues and recommended arthroscopic procedure because they were considerably younger mm-hmm. and they had it and they were, ended up being worse. Right. Um, so and they're, you I, know, and now you're sort of set up for, well, where do you go from there? Um, do a hip replacement? Or hip resurfacing. I've um, I've seen similar stories. I the, I think the one of the most heart wrenching ones I ever read was somebody commented on YouTube and and she's you know she said uh, I've already I've had I think it was five or seven I, I think it was five um, hip surgeries. I'm only 21 years old. You know I had my first one. I think she said at 15 or 17. But anyway from teenage years to early 20s had already had multiple hip surgeries to try to fix FAI, uh, hip impingement. And my hip still doesn't feel good. I still need to get more surgeries to fix this, is, was, was her conclusion. Um, and so I saw this and I felt you know, really bad, right? And actually kind of angry on her behalf. Um, so I just, I've seen the, this kind of like age group that the surgery is being used on has expanded down and down and down. Um, you're a father. You, you know, you kind of have the perspective of some of a father who kind of sees what ha- you have a longer life. You've seen youth, you know, what, what goes on in people's minds. If you were talking to somebody who has one of these diagnoses, has hip pain, is you know, under 50 or under 40 or just a younger person, what kind of advice would you give to them if they're sitting in this situation? Yeah, I would say do your homework. Do the self-tests to prove to yourself whether your hips are functioning well or not. And if they're not functioning well based on the tests, for example, the tests that you have in the FAI fix. I think a lot of people, once they have the diagnosis, um, when they do something like self-test, any exercise they do and they find that they're not able to do it well, um, they attribute that to the bone problem. The diagnosis, so, yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah. don't jump to that conclusion. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I think it's dangerous to jump to that conclusion and say, well, I can't do that. I can't lift my knee. Um, uh, I can't lift my leg. I can't externally rotate. So it must be because I have arthritis. Mm-hmm. That it must be because I have a cam impingement. Stop for a moment and say to yourself, or it could be because I've never trained my muscle to be able to move my hip in that motion that I don't know how to connect. I have no motor control over that muscle. And even though I didn't motor control, the muscle is too weak and tight to be able to do what I want to do. That's just as plausible, I think, an explanation, maybe more plausible an explanation for the immobility than, or they could be a combination of the two. I mean, but it, but don't, don't rule out that your muscles are not a factor. They're a huge factor. Our bones don't move in a vacuum. I mean, yes, they, yes. you need muscles to move bones. I mean, uh, frankly, yeah, the bones don't move, period. Right? So they don't move unless something acts on them. Right? It, took me a while, it took me a while to accept that for myself, that um, that's the limitations and discomfort that I was experiencing could be for some other – could. There could be some other cause than what I was being told I have on 
imaging. Um, and if I, even if I didn't have a definite answer, I had, there's no downside to me um, getting myself to be more mobile and stronger. Um, it was just a, honestly, for me, it was a, a no brainer to explore that and to do it and to really to go, but I think you have to go all in. It can't be sort of like, I'm going to try this and I'll do a half hour here and there. You have to, it took, a, like I used the phrase earlier, it took a paradigm shift for me, but I, I would say, you know, do your homework, educate yourself, learn about your anatomy, learn how your body should function, learn about what might be preventing your body from functioning in the way that should, for example, prolonged excessive sitting or even prolonged excessive standing. Any one position for too long a period of time is going to be a problem. Yeah. Body wasn't meant to be in a cast. Find a plan, follow a plan. I mean, you have a plan. I followed your plan. Um, I still follow it to this day, bits and pieces of it. I'm sort of further along than where I was yeah. before. So you have been in your own plan, right? You've I, I continue to draw on and use it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I go back to something that did before when I feel like I, well, maybe I need to go back and do more frog stretches, you know, things like that, that I haven't been doing as much. So, so one, one thing related to this, uh, I think I want to wrap probably with this topic. Um, once you've made that paradigm shift for people who are willing to say, okay, I think I'm, I'm willing to go all in. I'm willing to say, I'm going to change this. I'm going to work on all the things I can change. I'm going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to start doing different exercises to improve my range of motion, build flexibility and strength. What is the experience like when you've been sedentary for so long and you start doing these new motions? What was the actual internal feelings and what were your emotional responses to those sensations? And how did those change over time? Because people experience a lot of fear and stuff involved in this process. So I'd like you to speak to that. There are physical feelings, of course, because you're putting your body into things that you, doing things with it that you haven't been doing. There's discomfort. Um, so there's that element of it. it. It's not what's good for your body. Those movements right away might not sort of correlate with well, now I feel a lot better physically, right? So it, that, that, that takes time. It took time for me. I remember doing sessions with you and I would end the session and I wasn't sure if I felt <clears throat> better or worse. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But looking back on it, I was making progress. It was just sort of laying, you know, it was just, it was in the early stages. Um, I think emotionally, um, it feels good to be much more mobile and stronger. I mean, it just feels it feels darn good physically and emotionally. Um, I mean, I, I can't put a price on it. I can't put a price on being able to, um, you know, go swim for an hour and feel feel good or go surf for an hour and not be fearful that I'm going to get hurt or go skiing. I mean, I just can't, it's priceless really. Um, so it, that I'm, really grateful to be able to do again. I don't take it for granted, uh, but it, you know, it took making this shift uh, and that the shift wasn't easy, you know, but I feel like I'm, I made it to sort of into this, this new model and I can now sustain it. And I like learning. I like training my body. I realize now my body needs it. Like almost like sort of like eating. Um, like food. That's right. Yep. <laughs> And if you take us back to sort of our pre-civilized forms, you know, it, our bodies to function uh, needed movement. 
and benefited from movement and strength. You know, <clears throat> the, the guy who could run, jump, and climb was able to escape, you know, uh, ambitious, you know, carnivore. You know, it was so our bodies, you know, <laughs> needed that just as much as they needed to, you know, to eat, you know, uh, to eat and sleep. Yeah, um, uh, there's a biomechanist, Katie Bowman, who has written some excellent, excellent books. Um, and she talks about movement as being nutritious, right? You need to get nutritious movement every day. Uh, and I think that that analogy is so spot on because when we're hungry, when we, when we have an empty stomach for long periods, the stomach hurts and starts to talk to us and say hey yeah. and in the same way muscles right you don't move yeah. enough muscles start to hurt <laughs> yeah it's a self-preservation signal that you need to do this you need to move to make these feel better um you know atrophy gets painful dysfunction gets painful when yeah. you know your muscle imbalances you get so before we close, is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, you ha have the opportunity to tell anybody who's got hip pain or back pain, you know, is there one thing that you would say to, to help them in their journey? Um, you know, I think the potential for the, there's such a great potential for the human body. I mean, it's such a marvelous piece of, um, I mean, the capabilities are, are, phenomenal and i think we forget that or at least i think i forgot it took it for granted and um living in a modern world uh, sort of um you know put me in a position where i started to lose the ability to do certain things and i think you really have to for me i had to become uh, more thoughtful about it uh and mindful about it um to to recover it um so it's not easy, I think, in a world that's, you know, that's more technological and where we see more and more things that are sort of efficient and require us to do less. I think we have to, we can, you know, we can embrace technology and do all those things, but if we have to then be thoughtful, or at least I have to be thoughtful about sort of what my, you know, my, uh, my physical needs are, um, my body needs. Um, even while we have all these other things, you know, this laptop that I'm looking at and that you're looking at. So I don't think they're incompatible. I just think it takes more effort. Uh, um, it has on my part to, uh, to keep my body, uh, you know, running. Gotta bring the attention and the mindfulness to it to treat the body well. All right, well, um, Peter, this has been super helpful. Uh, I, again, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit and chat about all of this. Um, uh, Peter has been gracious enough to say that he would answer some questions if people um, want to reach out to him. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably we'll set up something probably in the in some links um, that go along with this, uh, so he doesn't get flooded and bombarded. <laughs> Happy to do that. I feel like. I've benefited from the stories of others, other people you've interviewed, your own stories, Matt, um, you know, stories of others who trained with you uh, and what they had to overcome. So if I can help one person uh, with this and my experience, um, it becomes all the more um, 
you know, meaningful to me. I feel that that's the least I could do is to, uh, you know, to share my story in a way that maybe others can benefit. That's huge. Thank you so much, Peter. And um, thank you. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be, you know, a part of your journey. I hadn't found you. Things might be different for me. They almost definitely would be, huh? (laughs) And maybe not better. So I'm glad, I'm glad you, you, the life you live now is spectacular. Um, So everybody, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I, I hope this was helpful and educational. And Peter, if you want to help me with this, I hope you always remember that pain sucks. Life shouldn't. All right, we got it.